It's Thursday, April 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Emily Flippin and Andy Cross. Welcome. How are we doing this Thursday? Good. Doing well. Hi, Emily. Hi, Mac. Good to see y'all. Well, we have a show. We're going to talk some beer, wine, cannabis, and Warren Buffett. And, and those are two yeah. different stories. You had Buffett, me sold right there. Buffett, right is there not, Buffett is not related to the beer, wine, and cannabis. I want to make Yet. that clear. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. And we will get to that. But we begin with Tesla. The ongoing drama, soap opera story that is Tesla shares down big on Thursday after Tesla reported that first quarter deliveries fell short of expectations. Now, this is just one of the storylines playing out, y'all. Mm -hmm. The other storyline is, today, a judge will hear oral arguments as to whether Elon Musk should be held in contempt of court over a tweet that misstated the number of vehicles that Tesla expected to produce this year. So, all of that, you throw it together, Tesla shares down around 7% right now. Andy, what do you make of it? Yeah, let's break up the for the two pieces of news there, Mac. So, when it comes to the orders, um, the the quarter was, was much less than what analysts expected. It was down 30% on the delivery side from the fourth quarter, which was a record. They delivered more than 90,000. Now, they're around 63,000, down significantly. Um, they, they pointed to uh, this massive buildup of demand that they are seeing in Europe and in China and not being able to deliver that. So, they did, Elon Musk, in the, in the release, did say that they still expect delivery of 360,000 to 400,000 total cars this year. Now, there is some debate Mac, and we'll talk a little bit about that debate about what what number they really are looking for because Elon Musk has been a little bit all over the place. But the quarter was not that great, so investors I think are reacting to that and wondering, hey, wow, if this is the more of the future for what we will see from the the challenges they have with the Model Three, is that going to impact long term profitability for that car, which really uh, is going to be a big driver over the next five years of what Tesla's uh, value will be to shareholders? So they have to get that right clearly right now. There's a lot of demand, but they're kind of struggling to operationalize that into productive deliveries. Yeah, and that's a hard problem to have because it doesn't matter if the demand's there if you're not able to fill that demand. And in the past, we've seen people wait a very, very long time to have that demand filled by Tesla because there was so much value in owning a Tesla. And it surprised, I think, a lot of analysts to see that demand stay up regardless of their inability to quickly yeah. deliver vehicles. So it'll be interesting to see in the future if it continues. And I'm definitely carefully watching their Shanghai plant. We saw Tesla have a lot of problems getting a plant up and running here in the US yeah. and getting that up to scale so it was producing on a regular basis. And last year was full of issues in that process. So it'll be interesting to see if they're also capable of replicating that model in China, which is arguably a little bit of a harder place to maybe, you know, get those cars produced. But if they're able to do that, they'll be able to more quickly meet that demand. Well and they do have an advantage there because they 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 have gotten friendly reception for building that plant where they can go in and they can own the entire process there as opposed to doing a joint venture. The market in China, as Emily referred to, I mean it's gigantic. Last year, I think they did more than a million electronic vehicle sales compared to 360,000 here in the U.S. So it's three times the size, the largest EV market in the world. It's already Tesla's second largest market, and we saw this quarter that they, as they are trying to ship the cars over there because they don't have the. High plant built yet, 
that's a struggle. I mean, and, and Elon has talked about this, the, the, the challenge they've had with getting parts in the right spot and get, bringing parts from China to the U.S. and then shipping the cars back to China and how inefficient that is. So, the China plant is one thing that I'm really watching with the investment there, um, Emily, like you mentioned. But this quarter, with the drop in the tax credit, and that's going to be phased out here in the U.S., you know, is are investors reacting to the potential? This is more of a normal case with with Tesla when it comes to the quarterly sales and deliveries than what they were expecting. And along those lines, Andy, I was asking the investing team what their biggest question was about Tesla, and Ben's question was, "What's the average selling price of Model 3s over the last quarter, and what are the gross margins of the lowest price model?" Two big questions there that we don't know the answer. To. Yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten the, the results. They did say in the release today that this is going to the quarter's drop, uh, the unexpected or the drop in uh, Model 3 sales and total deliveries will impact net income for the quarter. So I think Ben's question is really good because the Model 3, which is what Elon is trying to sell to the masses, really, and this is really their their general mass market car, um, and dropping the price from 60 grand to 44 grand, maybe all the way, all the way down to 35 grand. Um, obviously, as the price goes down, the gross margin potentially goes down. So they really have to get the scale right to make that really profitable for Tesla shareholders. And that still is an outgoing question, outstanding question. And what about the second piece of this story? The court hearing over Elon Musk tweet that misstated the number of vehicles that Tesla expected to produce this year. This whole debate about what is material, what is non-material, is this legal overhang? Is this an issue that Tesla investors should be worried about? Well, we saw today some analysts pointing out that it was kind of an, or I should say yesterday, an interesting day to release the production information, the decline in deliveries, because the reaction that we've seen today to the stock kind of proves that that information is material, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, investors obviously care about Tesla's ability to produce and sell their vehicles. So, incorrect tweets, this would seem to go for evidence that. Hey, yeah, that's that's material information. But honestly, with the legal system, things are never really quite known, and it all comes down to some of the most you know minuscule wording of the tweet yeah. and the the legalese. So I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a normal thing to say, but it'll be fun to watch. And it seems like just with all of the social media um, tweets that Elon has had over the years, he's always had. Had some thread of explanation of what he really meant, and whether it's a it's a total number for the year of deliveries of five hundred thousand or more of a oh no that is the weekly rate that I meant, which is so he has some explanations, and I think this will be turned into a lot of he said and what is the interpretation of that and. Ultimately, I think while investors do care about the forecast, as Emily said, because they were expecting seventy-five thousand, I think this year, this quarter, and Tesla did not deliver that. I think ultimately the proof is going to be in the pudding what they actually deliver, and that's going to drive the share price. And let's move on to Constellation Brands, the beer, wine, spirits, and cannabis company. Um, Constellation is the mothership for Corona and Modelo beers. Those beers doing very well. Um, the stock. Up today on earnings. On Wednesday, y'all, Constellation announcing that they had agreed to sell about 30 brands from their wine and spirits portfolio. So the business changing a bit. And this is a business, Emily, that last year bought a 38% stake in Canopy Growth, a Canadian marijuana company. So we've got beer, wine and spirits, we've got cannabis. 
How are things looking at Constellation? Well, unfortunately, it feels like I'm not going to be getting my cannabis-infused wine anytime <laughs> soon as a result Emily, of these sell I'm sorry to hear that. So, investors are holding out for Constellation Brands to really deliver on its partnership with Canopy Growth to make that cannabis-infused beer or alcoholic beverages, which are expected to be loosened in Canada later this year with regulatory you know, loosening in the fall. So, they're really kind of putting a pin in in that investment until they're able to actually get off the ground and selling those sorts of products in Canada. If that's successful, then it opens up a lot of opportunity for other companies. You know, we've seen Anheuser Busch possibly getting into the same space. So, if they're successful, that really sets a playing field for what could revolutionize the alcohol industry. Well, and what why the investment that Constellation has made in Canopy and I think it was 4 billion dollars or something. Like, it was it was significant. Is when you look at the U.S. alcohol volume market last year, it was it was down 0.8 percent. The year before that, down 0.7 percent. Beer was even worse; it was down one and a half percent. Even though Constellation's having some successes in the beer market, beer was down one and a half percent last year. Volumes were down 1.1 percent in 2017. So the trend for the alcohol market is really not in the favor. There are some bright signs out there in these things called uh, like um, uh, soda infused alcohol, alcohol pop. As they may call it, that seems to be a market that the biggies are investing in. I know Diageo has invested in those, and that they've had some successes there. So clearly, a lot of these big alcohol branded companies are looking for other ventures and different ways to grow because we're just not consuming as much beer and spirits and wine as we used to. Yeah, and Constellation's a great example of that. You know, they're kind of getting into these ancillary spaces, but it's worth noting that Corona. And Modelo are still really strong brands. Um, while you know growth in those industries hasn't been particularly outstanding, Corona is is going to surpass Coors as the second largest beer brand family in the U.S. And Modelo is the number one. Oh, sorry. Corona is the number one most loved beer among Hispanic consumers. So there's obviously demand there. Modelo has seen double-digit growth over the last 26 of 27 quarters. So that's huge. It has 40% of the total category growth in high-end beer. So all of this is really going to say that you know beer as an industry isn't down and out. It's not. And actually, um, Sam Adams, uh, Boston Beer, the maker of Sam Adams, has actually seen some depletion growth, some, some volume growth, kind of. To come back after a couple of years of some struggle. So really, the the companies that are starting to suffer on this are really the very large, you know, mega breweries as they are as as these companies kind of start to struggle about. Gosh, we're just not consuming as much beer as we used to here in the U.S. or maybe globally, and the likes of a Boston Beer or Constellation Brands, Corona, to be able to finally start to take some market share back. And we should add that Constellation is not getting out of the wine business. Instead, they're really focusing more on higher end wines. Andy Cross, how would you define? A higher end wine. Uh, I guess it's maybe on a dollar amount. So what is that? Maybe higher, higher than twenty bucks a bottle, twenty five dollars a bottle, maybe. Emily, that's what I'd say. I didn't realize that people bought wine that wasn't in boxes. 
<laughs> so, maybe I'm the wait, wrong person. So, to ask. so, so yours, your definition of a higher end wine is it, not in a box. Well, it's two buck chuck, right? That's <laughs> that's in a bottle. Yeah, or it comes actually in a bag in a and a bag in, in a, a box. box. Okay. A bag in a box. Is, is right? a bag so, below a box, yeah. or where do we think? I, I think you, I, th- I don't think you can put it just into the. Well, actually, maybe you can put it in the new boxes. The new boxes that hey, they sell. You know, I guess, boxed yeah. water has really done well for that's itself. Right. So maybe boxed yeah. wine is ready for a comeback. Yeah, I like that. Right there, I like yeah. that. So. Bringing back the boxed wine. Love it. Okay, well, our final story here, and there's no real hook for this story, okay? But we just thought it would be a fun story to talk about. In his annual letter to shareholders back in February, um, Warren Buffett said that he was looking to make a, quote, elephant-sized acquisition, end quote. So, this is a great time to basically speculate on what that acquisition may look like. We've got the Berkshire annual meeting coming up in May. So, you know, we, we've got to speculate. And again, I brought it to the investing team. And as y'all think about what the next Buffett acquisition could look like, here are three answers I've got. You ready? Jason Moser says McCormick. That's his prediction. I'm shocked. That's his go to for everything. That is his go to. Spice it up a little bit, Jason. Spice Spice it it up. up. Jim Gillies says Southwest Airlines. Mm. And Tim Byers says Salesforce. Wow, the Salesforce one would be amazing if you decided to do that. Bigger than an elephant, probably. Bigger, yes. That is a a $100 billion company. It's huge. Okay, so Andy Cross. Buffett's next elephant size acquisition. Well, so just for some context here, Max. So um, Berkshire, the, their last big, big acquisition was Precision Cast Parts for thirty-two, thirty-five billion dollars back in two thousand fifteen. So when he talks about going after these large acquisitions that are meaningful, like I'm, I'm thinking like thirty-five, fifty billion dollars in market cap. So the one that I was thinking that that it would be a good fit with him is Sherwin Williams. So you think of Sherwin Williams as the paint company, their global company, they generate more than seventeen billion dollars in sales per year. They have very high returns on equity, pretty consistent profit margins. The stock's done phenomenally well. It's a recommendation of ours in Stock Advisor. It's a kind of business that Buffett can clearly understand. They have a retail component. They have a, they have a wholesale component. Um, I'm I'm guessing maybe one of his houses probably has some Sherwin Williams paint there. So I'm saying Sherwin Williams. Okay. Emily, what do you think? Well, I have two. I have one that I just want them to do. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's kind of, you know, Buffett style, but I'm I just so desperately want Buffett to revolutionize healthcare. Our our country needs it. So I would love it if Buffett were to acquire a company like Teladoc and really just raise awareness of telemedicine. Did Jason pay you to say that or did You know what? He's been rubbing <laughs> off on me. He does sit next to me. So it's hard to avoid the Teladoc talk every day. So I'm sold. Uh, well, at least he's in the space though with the Berkshire mm-hmm. Hathaway, JP Morgan, Amazon yep. initiative to try to change healthcare. Well, so at least what, he's thinking about it. And there, that's what gives me some hope, right? Yeah, because it's it's clearly on the top of his mind and he's made comments in the past about you know investing for the purpose of of changing industries of, of doing good and that's a bit of a deviation from yeah. I think the way that he's invested in the past so fingers crossed um, more realistically I could see Buffett investing in a company like Ross or Burlington mm-hmm. it goes back to really understanding the business I mean these are businesses that serve the average American consumer and they've performed really really well and actually a lot of these businesses, even though they're retail, they've done an amazing job of managing their inventory, of, of meeting consumer demand. And I, I would be hard-pressed to think that that hasn't crossed Buffett's mind. Okay, so interesting ideas. I, my, my dream, 
probably not realistic, but my dream, of course, is Costco. And he could pick it up for the low, low price of a little over, what, $100 billion or so market cap? Yeah. Is yeah. there any well, chance that that could happen yeah. or that just doesn't, doesn't fit, you think? Do I need to give up my Costco dream? No, I don't think. Well, I mean, like they have, a, they have he, Berkshire has more than hundred billion dollars of cash in their balance sheet. They have three hundred fifty billion dollars in shareholder equity. That's not cash, but that shareholder equity. There are only ten companies in the world that have a market cap of three hundred fifty billion. So there's a lot of capital for Warren Buffett to use uh, with insurance business and their cash. A um, hundred billion dollar acquisition would be a that would be a Pretty big one, but dollar fifty hot dog and drink. You <laughs> got to remember that. You got. He's got. You got. He's got to love for that. He's got to love that. I guess. I guess you don't have to buy the entire company to get that, though. Yeah, not well, me. He also looks like the type of person who would shop at Costco, right? Absolutely. I mean, is that is that to. that's a compliment, right? It's a compliment. Of okay. course, it's a compliment. They don't you let the riffraff like me in. Although he has, he has said, "I buy expensive suits. They just look cheap on me." Oh. I don't even buy expensive suits. I mean. I don't have. I don't think. I think the last time I bought a suit, I was. It was probably my parents bought it for me. It's like probably at, probably at Costco. Yeah, in the seventies. <laughs> okay, so the desert island question as we wrap up again. Don't invest this. Don't invest this way at home. It's just kind of a fun um, question. If you're on a desert island, and you've basically got nothing to do because, well, you're on a desert island, right? So you're there for five years, and you've got to buy one of these stocks. What are you going with? And you've got to own it for the next five years. Let's go Tesla. Let's go Constellation Brands or Berkshire Hathaway. Andy Cross. Oh gosh, uh, I would say um, for the next five years, I'm going with Tesla. Wow. Yeah, I'm going that there. Uh, Berkshire. Me. Ha- by the way, Berkshire, full disclosure, Berkshire Hathaway is one of my largest personal holdings. Okay. But I think five years, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice back with Elon and roll the dice. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a riskier choice here. Stick with the opportunity for growth. And I see the most growth opportunity with Constellation Brands. Um, If the investment in Canopy Growth does well and they revolutionize the space, that can mean amazing things for their business. And if it doesn't and it really just falls flat, at least you still own shares of a really solid company, pays a steady dividend. Can't be upset about that. You've got the beer, you've got the high-end wines. You're going to have, on your desert island, you're going to have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. You're going to have a <laughs> lot of fun. Okay, I like it. Well, you can always email us at marketfoolery at fool.com with your questions, your comments, with your desert island picks. Andy, Emily, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.